Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. Good morning, church family. Wow. Get these out. Psalm 73 is where I want you. If you didn't happen to bring one with you or if you don't own one, there is in, uh, there's one in the seat back in front of you. I'd love for you to pull that out and join me in Psalm 73. I see a lot of familiar faces that I haven't seen in a while and it warms my heart like crazy. I've seen seeing faces that I've never seen before and I'm grateful for that. Praise the Lord. You guys are joining us here. Uh, Psalm 73 is where we're going to be today because we're starting a new sermon series this week and it's going to go on for a little while. It's definitely not going to be as long as a glimpse of glory. I promise you that. But we are we're starting this series today that says when, when God doesn't make sense, and it actually is just kind of in response to some of the things that have been happening in our church family in, in the last several months, uh, and even in the last year, right? Things that have happened, things that are still currently happening, and we're having a tough time with them, right? So we've seen things like tragic deaths and, and losses. We've, we've seen where several, like several matters of cancer Right? We've, seen, we've seen emergency operations come out of the blue. We've, we've seen looming diagnoses that are just kind of waiting to be dealt with. And, and, and guys, so pair all of that with, with what's going on in our church and, and, and take that into the world that we're living in right now and, and everything that's happening in our society and in our culture with morality, with politics and all the, the, the hoopla and the holler out in the world today. You pair all of that together and, and I don't know, is it just me or have we often said, God, you're not making any sense? God, this doesn't make sense right now. Now, they're, they're, they're just to quickly address something, some, some people might be saying, well, why do you got to bring God into this mess? Like, he's not really doing these things, right? Well, let's think through this. No matter how you define God's sovereignty, right? No matter how you define his sovereignty, if you and I believe that God is perfectly all good, all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-wise, then there is not a single event that happens in the timeline of history that skipped his knowledge. There's not a single event that happens in all of history that he's ignorant of, or that he's unable to influence, or that he's messed up on, right? He's perfect, and he knows everything. So this means that everything that happens in our lives and in the world around us is at a minimum passing through his knowabouts. It's passing through him understanding, at least knowing that it's happening. It's not like he's a, he's like gets the call from 911. He's like, oh, I'll show up now. I, I didn't know that was happening. No, he's already knowing what's going on. At least at a bare minimum, that's what's happening. So, so for the person who, let's say, lost somebody to COVID-19, somebody they loved desperately and they've lost them, and they're asking, why would God let this happen? Or to uh, another one who has been abused and their abuser gets off scot-free and nothing happens, and they say, well, if God is just, why would he allow this injustice? Or, or, or for the person who like, lost their job or took a really hard financial hit to their income and they're sitting back wondering, God, you, you promised that you'd take care of our needs. And I'm not seeing that right now. Guys, those questions and statements aren't theologically irrelevant. They're not theologically uninformed. They are very much informed when they ask those questions. At least God knows about this. Guys, if you walk in a relationship with God long enough, 
There's going to be something that you see in his character and something that happens in the world, and it is really hard to reconcile. So let, let me just do this. Like, if we're going to be family here, then I think we ought to be able to admit some things about our own flaws and failures and struggles. So let me do this. If we're going to be family, if we're going to be authentic, right? Let me ask this. Raise your hand if you've ever had a moment in your life when this has been the case, when God hasn't made sense. All right, thank you. Notice how my hand's up. All right, so there have been things in my life where God has not made sense. So I, I can tell you right now, April 2nd, 2014, my wife and I were in our living room on our knees, weeping and crying out to the Lord because we had just lost our first baby in miscarriage. And we were torn apart. And we were sitting there, God, this doesn't make sense. It took us a year to even try to get pregnant, and it happened, and now it's gone. It doesn't make sense. And guys, these sorts of events and these sorts of questions can be faith-building or faith-breaking conversations, faith-breaking events. And we're going through the thick of it right now. And so I, I believe that the Lord is asking us to devote several weeks to, to this, several, several weeks to understanding this, to studying this in light of those times when God doesn't make sense. And I, I want to go ahead and forewarn you, this will be raw, right? You're not going to leave here dancing in unicorns and rainbows, right? That's not what I'm hoping for, but this is going to, it's going to feel like sandpaper sometimes. It's going to be hard but we need to be able to wrestle with this. We need to be able to have these times where we come out the other side. And my prayer ultimately is that when we suffer, we suffer to the glory of our God. And sometimes we need to be able to wrestle through times like this. So today, as we start the series, when God doesn't make sense, the first thing that we're gonna do, we're asking a question today. When God doesn't make sense, where do I run? When God doesn't make sense, where do I run? The reason why I start off with this is because I don't know if you've noticed this about yourself, but when there's a trial that comes into your life and it makes you potentially confused about who God is, right, you, you have a place where you go. It might not be physically. It might be more emotionally or mentally. You, you have a place where you run. Have you ever noticed that about yourself? You have something, you have someone, you have somewhere, something where you run to in order to deal with your, the pain of your confusion. You have a place where you go. You just may not realize it. Maybe, maybe it's literally just laying down in your bed, going like this through social media for hours, just trying to cope with your pain and seeing other people's life and be like, well, that's painful. I don't want to see that. They have everything together. You keep scrolling. Or maybe it's binge watching the Mandalorian for several days, right? You, that's, a, that's a solution to your pain. You just try to numb it. Another form of that would be drugs, sex, and alcohol. A way to try to numb the pain, to, de to deal with it, but it doesn't actually deal with it. It doesn't correct anything. It doesn't change your thoughts. It just prolongs it. Or maybe, maybe when you hit times like this and you're looking to go run somewhere, you run into isolation. You hide yourself away from people and you distance yourself from your God. Now, most often, 
what I see is people running off into what I call Christianese cliches or Christianese platitudes, right? That really don't mean anything, right? So when, when this happens, where do I run? You run off into the belief, well, well, God won't give me anything that I can't handle. How's that going for you? I don't actually see that anywhere in scripture, by the way. God never promised that he won't give you anything he handled. If he did, then why would you ever rely on him? Or another one. <laughs> Here's another one. If God opens, when he closes a window, or closes a door, he opens a window. Right? When God closes that door, he opens a window. You know what? Probably it's just because you're at the wrong address and you need to go somewhere else. Right? That's not a biblical either. That's not the Bible. All right, there's another one. When you, when you run off into this one, it's, uh, you're never more safe than when you're in God's will. Okay, tell that to, to Jesus. Where did he go? To the cross. Tell that to the Apostle Paul. Tell that to Justin Martyr. Tell that to Jim Elliott. You're never more safe than when you're in God's will. All right, I'm laying down my life for him. That's not safe. As we run off into these different things, Christian platitudes, different, different modes of trying to s- solve our problems to deaden the pain that we're feeling in our confusion, right? We run off into these things and they never work. They never solve anything. They only prolong or delay or twist our thought processes. Guys, we need to know where to run when God doesn't make sense. We have to know when God doesn't make sense, where do we run to? Where do we go? And honestly, I believe Psalm 73 is probably the clearest answer. Gives us the most beautiful picture. When someone's confused, where do we go? So Psalm 73 is raw. Psalm 73 is written by a guy named Asaph, and he is wrestling with probably one of the most difficult questions that you and I could ever wrestle with in this life. And the question is this, why do the wicked prosper? Why do the arrogant and the wicked prosper? Now, this psalm, in this psalm, Asaph confesses things that you and I are probably really afraid to admit, right? This psalm helps us actually come before God honestly, Right? Before God about the things that we wrestle with in life the most. And we'll, we'll see that, that Asaph, he, he airs out his complaint. He airs out what he's observing before God. And at the end of the psalm, he's walking away convicted about his own disbelief and content in who God is and longing for him supremely. Okay, if that's, if, if, if that's available for us, then we want it, Right? We don't want to stay in our confusion and doubt where God doesn't make sense. We want, to, we want to press into what is available for us in Christ. Now, I want to go ahead and stay up front. We're using Psalm 73 as a guide. I'm not trying to answer the question, why the wicked prosper, right? Because the psalm doesn't actually answer that, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But, but I'm not trying to solve that problem. I'm not trying to answer that question. What I am trying to do is analyze for us, like let us walk through the process that Asaph went through himself and answer the question, where should we run when God doesn't make sense? So I'm going to read the first 16 verses and I've got something I need you to do. Don't read past verse 16. All right. I know you're going to look there right now and be like, what's the answer? Don't do it. Just wait, build up the suspense, delay your gratification. We can't do that anymore, but I'm hoping to build that back up again. Psalm 73 verse one. Listen to this. God is indeed good to Israel. Amen? 
to the pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost slipped. My steps nearly went astray, for I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have an easy time until they die, and their bodies are well fed. They are not in trouble like others. They are not afflicted like most people. In other words, they're, they're not like most humans. Right? Therefore, pride is their necklace, and violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge out from fatness. Their imaginations of their hearts run wild. They mock and they speak maliciously. They arrogantly threaten oppression. They set their mouths against heaven and their tongues strut across the earth. Therefore, his people turn to them. In other words, they have a tendency to attract God's people into their lifestyle. Therefore, his people turn to them and drink in their overflowing words. The wicked say, how can God know? Does the Most High know everything? (laughs) Look at them, the wicked. They are always at ease, and they increase their wealth. Here's where it gets really raw. Did I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? Because I am afflicted all day long and punished every morning. If I had decided to say these things aloud, I would have betrayed your people. When I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless. Stop there. Don't read any further. Guys, you know how there's some times in our faith where there's things that we we can intellectually agree with. Like when we say, God is good, and all the time, You intellectually agree with that, but aren't there times where you can struggle with it, right? So so Asaph actually starts off that very psalm with that very acclamation. God is indeed good. He's certain of the truth of it. He knows it's true. But then he admits something that I think probably terrifies all of us to admit. He says, yeah, I know God is good, but here's how I'm doing with that. My feet almost slipped. In other words, he is on the edge of his faith and he about fell off and great would be the destruction of it. Here's how I'm doing with that. Why? Why why is his faith so shaky? Why is he almost on the edge falling off? Verse three is the answer. Because I envied the arrogant I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So, and then verse four through verse 12 is like one of the most deplorable texts that I've ever read in scripture describing people. I mean, these people are disgustingly arrogant and wicked. They mock and belittle God. They get filthy rich in their violence and in their oppression. And they fatten themselves with the richest and nicest foods so that their eyes are so bulging out that they can hardly see. They're so fat on good food. And Asaph sees this and he's wrestling with this. He's struggling with it. I mean, look at verse nine. It says, and their tongues strut across the earth. Their tongues are even little punks, right? This is incredibly wicked. I mean, so why do the wicked get so much? Why is their way so easy for them and our way so hard for us? God, this seems backwards. God, you're not making any sense. 
And this is, guys, this is a really tough thing to wrestle with this. Again, I'm not trying to answer this question. Notice how low he goes in this wrestling match. Look at verse 13. Did I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? In other words, is my believing and loving God nothing more than mere vanity? What's the point? What's the point of following God if if I'm the one suffering and they're getting to live it up? I mean, I thought we started off saying that God is, is surely good to those who are pure in heart. I thought that's what's true. And I'm not seeing it as, from what I can tell. That's what he's saying. This doesn't make sense. So, one, one of the things that I, I think we first need to take away is Psalm 73 introduces something to us that I think ought to become permissible in our church family. And I want to communicate it to you. And I know I've said it before over and over again. I'm probably going to overuse this because I need you to know that it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay. It's, it's, it's okay to wrestle with really tough things. Can, can you just repeat that with me? It's okay to not be okay. One, two, three. It's okay to not be okay. Guys, it's okay to have moments of confusion in your faith. Right? You don't have to have everything together. You don't have to carry that facade because it's an impossible weight to carry. When you have moments where God doesn't make sense, you're not a bad Christian. You're just joining a lot of other people in the Bible who had a tough time with some things. Because scripture is riddled with humans like you and me who brought really tough questions before God and they wrestled with their doubt. I mean, let me, let me just show you Jeremiah. The prophet Jeremiah, you know, who like, is responsible for writing one of the largest prophecies in the Bible? Look at Jeremiah 12. You will be righteous, Lord, even if I bring a case against you. Yet, look at this, I wish to contend with you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the treacherous live at ease? Whew. Or what about the other prophet, Habakkuk? Chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. How long, Lord, must I call for help and you not listen or cry out to you about violence and you do not save? Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? God, this is not making any sense. And if you think this is just an Old Testament scene, look at the New Testament. Look at the disciples, right? How often did they do things that showed they really didn't understand who Jesus was? Right? Peter walking out on the water, and he messed up. He ends up almost drowning, and Jesus is like, all right, come on, man. Or when they're on the boat, Right? And they're like, oh, we're going to die, Jesus. What are you doing? Why, why are you going to let this happen to us? They obviously didn't know what he was doing, and they didn't understand. It didn't make sense. Guys, I'm telling you, not just Scott, but Scripture, God gives us permission to not be okay for a season. It is okay to not be okay for a season. However, notice how I say for a season, Right? If you go years wallowing in resentment and bitterness and self-pity because something got allowed or did in your life didn't make sense to you, if you spend years in that, then I would have severe desire to evaluate your own relationship with God. 
And the reason why I say that is because while it's, it's okay to not be okay, it is definitely not okay to stay there. It's not okay to stay in bitterness and in confusion and in doubt and let that become the norm of your life, the norm of your relationship with God because in Christ, you don't have to stay there. You're not stuck in that. You don't have to stay in bitterness because why? You have a heavenly father in heaven ready for you and waiting to talk with you and hold your hand through this. Guys, when... when, when when my kids, I have, I have a six, five, and three-year-old, and when my kids, any of them, have something that they're really struggling with, and, and they, they're confused about something, and it's 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 really big question. Do you do you think that I want them to? Do you think I'm just I want them to go sit in front of TV for a few hours and try to numb their thoughts and confusion and try to let them forget it that way? Do you think I want Google answering their questions for them? They've got a relationship with the Alexa app in our in our little thing, and they they ask them all the questions all the time. No, I don't want Alexa handling the tough questions with my kids. Who do I want? Me. I, their father, want to be the one who's dealing with their hearts, who's handling the really tough questions and giving them the word that, that builds up their faith. I want to be the one. And if I'm a chummy little boy named Scott, how much more does our heavenly father want you to run to him with your really tough questions and your confusion? You think he's going to criticize you when you walk through that door? Little faith, get out of here. No, he's, he wants to walk with you and hold your hand in that. He walks with you through the fire. You are his child. And he is a much better father than you've ever experienced. And he wants you to come. So that's why it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay there because you've got a dad who's just too good. This is the context of your relationship with your father in heaven. He is your dad. And trust me, you're not going to shake him off his rocker with a tough question. You're not going to be like, I've got this question. He's like, oh gosh, I hope that they didn't ask that question. Why did you do that? He is all knowing. So ask your really tough questions. But I also say, be very careful how you do it. Be very careful how you do it because there's a way that we can go before God with just this smug arrogance and really accuse him of wrongdoing when you and I both know that wrongdoing is not in his repertoire. He just can't. So we don't go before God saying, God, you got this wrong. I know better than you. Mm -mm. No, 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 no. Chill. But we do go before God and say, God, I really don't understand this. I know you're that good. I'd rather have you. We go before God with humility and contrition. And not only that, but we go before our brothers and sisters with the same. Look at, look at, look at verse 15. If I had decided to say these things aloud, in other words, if I had decided that I was going to share all of my struggles and all of my bitterness before God's people, look at what he says, I would have betrayed them. I would have led them astray. Guys, you know how joy is contagious? So is resentment. It's like a wildfire. It can set a blaze. So, so when I say 
It's okay to not be okay. Wrestle with your doubts and your confusion in an authentic, humble way. Let your brothers and sisters in on your struggles. Let them wrestle with you. Let them walk with you through this. But don't do it in a way that only spreads bitterness and, and, and hatred because you're betraying your brothers and sisters. So be careful how you struggle, but struggle. It's okay to not be okay. Now, let's look at verse 16. Check it out. This is where we ended. When I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless. When I tried to understand all of this, it seemed hopeless. In other words, he had no view of anything past his bitterness and frustration. He couldn't see anything beyond. There was no hope for him beyond this, this confusion and doubt and bitterness. But does he stay there? Let me tell you, no, he doesn't. When everything seems hopeless, where does he run? Verse 17, until I entered God's sanctuary, until I entered the presence of the Lord. That's where he runs to. This is the whole turn of this psalm. This is the whole turn of this struggle. He finds his resolve only in the presence and the counsel of God. So guys, do you know what you're presuming about yourself when you refuse to go before God and you stay in your confusion and you try to solve it all on your own? You know, you know what you're presuming? That, that you're as smart as God. That you're, you're able to resolve these conflicts without him. Because you, you might believe, well, God doesn't give me anything more than you can't handle. No. Guys, even Asaph, who, who got to write a whole psalm in the, in, in the Bible, right? Like, he, he's probably a little bit further out there than I, right? If he gets to do that, and he runs into the presence of God when everything seems hopeless, where do you think we ought to run? He runs to the presence of God, and it's only there in that sweet place does he actually get any clarity, and he's able to really kind of see himself rightly and see the wicked rightly. Look at what the Lord does for that. When, when he says, when I tried to all this, understand all of this, it seemed hopeless until I entered God's sanctuary. Verse 17, look what the Lord does for him. Then I understood their destiny. Indeed, you put them, the wicked, in slippery places. You make them fall into ruin. How suddenly they become a desolation. They will come to an end, swept away by terrors, like one waking from a dream. Lord, when arising, you will despise their image. Verse 21, when I became embittered, my innermost being was wounded. I was stupid, and I didn't understand. I was an unthinking animal toward you, yet I am always with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me up in glory. Who do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth but you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those far from you will certainly perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. Guys, he gains perspective. He gets perspective on what all that arrogance and smugness and violence and wickedness leads to. It leads to destruction. 
He gains perspective on his own mindset. He says, I, I, was, I was stupid. I didn't understand. Now, just a side note, just because Psalm 73:22 says that does not mean that you can just go up to a brother or sister who's confused and doubtful about God and say, hey, you're stupid for being that. That doesn't give us permission, right? But he not only gains perspective on where their lifestyle ends, where the wicked's lifestyle ends, but he gains perspective on his own small thinking, and he's also given perspective on everything that he has in God and where he will ultimately end up. All to the point where, all to the point where his soul is refreshed in its longing after God. Look at verse 25 and 26. He, he, he is truly crying this out. Who do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth but you. My heart and my, my flesh and my heart fail. Guys, when we quote that verse, we often put my heart and my flesh may fail. There's no may in the Hebrew. It's saying that when my heart and my flesh fail, because they will, God, you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. In other words, not the riches of this world, not the pleasures that this world has to offer me. No, God, you are all that I want. You probably know this verse too. I quote it a lot. You, you know this verse. You probably have a coffee mug with this verse on it. Did you just now realize for the first time that this verse is not the, the therapeutic kind of confession of the Christian at ease and comfort? Mm, God. No. No, this is the battle cry of the one wrestling with major confusion and doubt. And this is where he ends up when he runs to the presence of God in his confusion. God, you are all that I want. Now, in all of this, in all of this, do we ever see God answer the original question posed? Do we ever see God explain, yeah, this is why the wicked prosper? Does he ever answer that question? No. No, he doesn't. He doesn't, he doesn't give Asaph the reason for the problem of evil. If he did, then none of us would have been struggling for the last 2,000 years. God doesn't give Asaph the answer for his original question. And this is another truth that I want to take away this morning as we're in this process and analyzing and hopefully building up right expectations for when we hit the wrestling match and we wrestle with the Lord. Guys, this is, this is what we need to expect. God doesn't promise explanations. He provides perspectives. God doesn't promise explanations for your really tough questions. But he will provide you perspective. Because if you think that this is just a one-off thing, look at the story of Job. You read that whole story probably. Did God ever let Job in on the reason why Job lost absolutely everything and his children were taken away from him and his health taken away from him? Did God ever let Job know that it was because Satan simply wanted to test Job and God was like, all right, go ahead. Did Job ever find that out? Not according to scripture. No, he never knew the reason why God allowed that. He never got the explanation for why. 
But what did God give Joseph or Job? Perspective. <laughs> did you put the boundaries of the oceans where they are, Job? Did, did, do you command the morning sun to rise? Or is that me? Oh, th that's me, okay. Perspective. Because he does the same thing with Paul. When Paul achingly goes before the Lord with a thorn in his flesh and he says, God, would you take this away from me? He doesn't even exactly, actually know the, the full reason why he has this. What is God's response? Well, here's why you have it. No, he says, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Perspective. That's not an explanation for why. So ultimately, what that then means then is that what you and I need, if God is best, and this is how he deals with people in his word, then what you and I need is not the explanation for why. What we need most desperately is a new perspective. We need to see something higher than what we're seeing right now. We need our eyes of our hearts lifted above what we're wrestling with right now. And God promises that. And wrestling in the presence of the Lord is going to be the environment and where God brings that higher perspective. And ultimately, when you gain that perspective, what we originally knew to be true about God but had a tough time believing becomes the confidence of our souls. Look at how this psalm ends. You better memorize this verse. Psalm 73, 28. But as for me, God's presence is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge so I can tell about all you do. God's presence is my good. In fact, he's so resolved about this. He starts, but as for me, meaning I am resolved. This is the confidence of my soul. So brothers and sisters, I, this is where I believe ultimately God is, is leading to us. And, and at the beginning, again, we ask the question, when God doesn't make sense, where do I run? When God doesn't make sense, where do I run? Guys, too many of us run off into places or things that won't ever be able to provide for us the kind of new perspective that you and I desperately need to lift the eyes of our hearts above the wrestling match that we're in right now. And too often, when God does something or allows something that doesn't make sense, and brings it into our lives or allows it into our lives, and it causes us to struggle and doubt, guys, the first thing that you and I probably do is distance ourselves from God. We say, all right, no, you... Mm -mm. Nope. We do the same thing with our spouses and our friends. It's like they did something wrong and until they fix it, I'm not talking to them. They ain't getting a single text from me. We do the same thing with God. We're so inclined to keep our distance from him. It's like we think God got something wrong and until he fixes my problems, I'm not talking to him. Friends, I have to tell you that that road only leads to prideful resentment, bitterness, and perpetual sorrow, and loneliness. Just don't run down that road. This is where I believe when we have times where God doesn't make sense, this is what we need to do. We need to run to his presence. 
we'd run to his presence. Can we say this together? One, two, three. When God doesn't make sense, run to his presence. Guys, when we talk about the gift of the gospel, it's not just simply forgiveness of sins, though that secures for us a relationship with God. The ultimate gift of the gospel is the ever-present presence of God with you always and in all places. So when, when, when you and I have doubt, when you and I have fear, Jesus won for us the presence of God so you don't have to go to some temple over in Jerusalem. You don't have to come into this building. You can, in that very moment, escape your busy schedules, isolate yourself from all the, the, the things that you usually try to do to cope with your pain, and you get with God and you get with him in his word and spend time listening to his spirit and in his word and letting God bring you that new perspective that you so desperately need. That's what you do. You run to his presence and you wrestle in his presence. Guys, do you remember how, how Jacob wrestled with God all night? Even after God done busted his hip, he still wrestled until God gave him that blessing? Have you wrestled with your confusion and your doubt until your hip was broken? Have you gone before the presence of God and said, God, I'm not, I'm not leaving here. I know what's available to me in Christ. I know what you've promised me and I don't want to be content with my sorrow and bitterness and confusion. I know I don't have to stay there. So God, would you let me into the light? As he is waiting for you and he's ready. So if God doesn't make sense to you right now, run to his presence. So I'll tell you this, um, April 2014, my wife and I were in that living room, right? And this was the first of three miscarriages, actually. We didn't know it at the time. And we're, we're with God's word in front of us in our living room. And my wife and I are just on our knees, crying out to the Lord, God, this doesn't make any sense. We'll still praise you no matter what. But, but this is really hard. What are you doing? We had just lost our child. Now, we didn't know the, the gender at the time. We just hadn't found that out yet. But, but for some reason, we were likened the name Raylan. And the name Raylan means little lamb. And this was before we knew anything was wrong. And so, we, again, we didn't know it was a girl. We just liked the name Raylan. And so we kind of gave her the name Raylan. And we're in the living room and we're in pain over the loss of our Raylan. We're crying and we're confused. And we hear the, the front glass door open and then close with no knock, no nothing. We wait a few minutes to see if somebody's going to ring the doorbell or anything, but nobody. Those we kind of hear a car uh, door shut and, and the engine starts back up and they leave in. And so I got up and, and opened the main door, and in between was, was a little bag, gift bag with, with a card in it, and I took it to my wife. Again, Raylan was just between my wife and I. Nobody knew about this. 
And we're sitting there and we open up this little card and on the front of it is a little lamb. And inside the card was written, God is holding your little lamb right now. And we opened up the gift bag and inside was a little stuffed lamb. And we had told nobody about this. God had given us a new perspective. God had lifted the eyes of our hearts above the pain that we were suffering through. And he showed us that he loved us more than we thought. And that he loved our Raylan more than we ever could. So when God doesn't make sense, don't run anywhere else but his presence. Don't go anywhere else. Because it's not going to work. It's not going to give you what you need. You run to the presence of God and you wrestle there and you don't leave until he provides you some new perspective because it's available for you. So I want to invite you here today. If you are right now in a season where you can say, man, God just really doesn't make any sense. And, and you've been in that for a little while, and, and I don't want to say this, but you've not tried this. Not as if this is just a quick fix. But if you've not gone before the Lord and said, God, I'm struggling with this, and I need you more than I, I need an, an answer for this, but I, I need to see something more than what I'm seeing now. If that's you, then I would challenge you, don't leave today without going to the wrestling match. Don't leave today without, without going before the Lord and saying, God, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what doesn't make sense to me, and I need to see something more. Don't leave here today. I will personally stay with you through the night into tomorrow, and I will pray with you, and I will beg of the Lord on your behalf. Don't leave here today still confused about something God has done or something God is doing. Because when God doesn't make sense, where do we run? We run to his presence. So I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to dismiss us. But if that's you, do not walk out those doors. Come this way and we will pray. And we will not leave. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you. Uh, not only for the permissions that Psalm 73 gives to us, but also for the comfort and the direction that it provides for our souls. God, I, I confess that, that when there are things that just don't make sense, there are things that I use in this world to try to, to, to numb the pain. It, it just doesn't work. They fail me time and again. And yet, Father... I thank you for how often Psalm 73 has ministered to my soul and I pray that you would do the same thing, if not more, for my brothers and sisters here or whether or not they're watching on the live stream. God, I pray that you would help us wrestle in your presence, that instead of distancing ourselves from you, we would run straight to you as our Father in heaven. And God, I pray that you would cause us to humble ourselves before you and be willing to want you more than we want an explanation. God, I pray that at the end of the day, 
for any of us in here who are struggling with something about you that doesn't make sense, I pray at the end of the day, we would all be able to confidently say from the depths of our souls, you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Your presence, God, is my good. God, may that be the, the truth today. And may you do a work that cannot be done by me or anyone else. Thank you for welcoming us into your presence in the person of Jesus. We love you and I pray all of these things in your powerful name. Amen. If you guys would stand, I'd love to, to bless you as you go. Now, when, when we say this benediction, notice the terms of the presence of God being upon you in this. Take note of that. Brothers and sisters, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, both now and in the world to come. Amen. Love you guys. Who needs to wrestle? Lord willing, we'll see you next week. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.